Hello and welcome to The Art of Selling Wine, the podcast for wine professionals and for professional wine nerds from all around the world. And as wine has long history, so do I have long history in butchering French names. And today I'm very happy to introduce you to Alexandre Abelan, Abelan, I think it is. Uh, he is the editor-in-chief of Vitisphere. And this is very, very interesting because Vitisphere is one of the really big websites when it comes to wine growing, wine marketing, jobs in agriculture and in wine business and everything you want to know about the wine business. So if you are any kind of wine professional, sommelier, winemaker, merchant, whatever, and you go to France, you really need to know about Vitisphere. And with Alexandre, I had a very nice uh, lunch. So uh, we had a good lunch. And before this lunch, we did an interview about the current state of Bordeaux and the market in Bordeaux and also the hot topics. So please enjoy Alexandre and me having this awesome conversation. Welcome to The Art of Selling Wine. In this podcast, we explore the foundation of business success in the wine industry. And we also take a look at global game changers, such as changing climatic conditions, changing customer behavior and demands, emerging and fading distribution channels, and many topics alike that affect winemakers everywhere. My goal is to collect regional answers and strategies and spread the ideas worldwide. My name is Diego. I'm a wine marketing consultant specialized in the strategic brand positioning of small and medium-sized family wineries. I have a background as trained winemaker in Rheingau area, Germany, and a degree in international wine business. This podcast is my contribution to the wine sector that I love so much. Enjoy it in the vineyards or in the cellar, or while traveling as winemaker or sommelier. And don't hesitate to contact me. You are listening to The Art of Selling Wine, the podcast for wine professionals. This episode is presented to you by WinePlus. WinePlus is a German-based platform for wine professionals from all around the world. It is written W-E-I-N dot plus, W-E-I-N dot plus. And all the episodes of The Art of Selling Wine and my German podcast, Wein Verkauft, are available in early access for the WinePlus members. It's a free membership, so you don't have to pay and you get two weeks early access to any episode. The Bordeaux series is also powered by Amorim Kork. Amorim Kork is partner of my German podcast and therefore they enabled me to do this whole endeavor in Bordeaux. And if you are currently looking for a new supplier of high-quality cork, I recommend taking a look at Amorim Cork. And if you understand German, I also provide a nice German episode. I think it's number 62 with Gerd Reis. He's the CEO of the Northern European division of Amorim Cork. And we talk about the renaissance of cork and the future of closing, closing systems for wine bottles. This whole series, the Bordeaux series, was made possible by a German company called Euramobil, Euramobile, you would pronounce it in English. They produce high-quality mobile homes and they provided me, meaning my wife and me, with a mobile home just for the trip to Bordeaux. And if you are interested in these kinds of things, I highly recommend going to The Art of Selling Wine episodes 4, maybe 5, and taking a look at our 
travel diary. In that episode, we talk about all the funny things we <laughs> got to see and uh, got to do in Bordeaux and all the accidents we had. And also, I give you a brief overview about the mobile home we were in and how living and working in a mobile home actually turned out to be. Additional partner for the French series is vitisphere.com. Whenever you want to find out about what's going on in French wine business, I highly recommend visiting Vitisphere. They are very helpful to our industry in France. The Bordeaux episodes were also supported by Bordeaux.com. It's the website of the Bordeaux Wine Growers Association, CIVB, and they supported me with giving me access to many, many, many of the interview partners that you are going to get to know in the following episodes. Today I'm sitting at the restaurant Veditable with Alexandre Abelan. Uh, he's chief editor of Vitisphere. And uh, before we get into more about your career and your history, I would like to start this with one question. How does a normal, average winemaker compete in the global wine industry? Oh, that's a tough one, possibly. Uh, I don't know if there is one answer. In fact, it uh, all depends uh, on... Uh, Not much of the winemaker, because at the moment a lot of uh, formations are good all around the world, but much more about uh, what you have in your vineyard and what you can get uh, to the market. Winemaker is more the translator between the potential of the terroir and the um, needs of the market and the consumers. So if you want to uh, achieve success globally, I think you have to understand both ends and to see that you are in the middle of uh, huge uh, challenges between uh, climate change for the vineyard and the shift of conceptions to the markets which are getting very wide and diversified so it's quite tough in fact. Do you think a French winemaker is competing against the rest against the rest of the world, or is he just competing against French wineries? Uh, from a French perspective, French um, French winemaker winemakers are mainly competing with their neighbors. In fact, they, most of them they don't really have uh, a perspective of what is going on all around the world. In fact, so they try to be better than their neighbor and they are very um, rooted in their history. So it's a key for French vineyards to open their eyes and their mind to see what is going on all around the world. They want to compete more effectively. Do you think Vitisphere plays a role in reporting about the global wine industry? Uh, we try to speak as much as we can of what is going on in the French uh, vineyards which are very huge and we don't succeed to speak of everything but we try to be as more accurate as we can and to help French wine growers and wine workers to see solutions to their problems which are very numerous and to get inspirations from others success in France or all around the world because French um, vineyards are very connected to other vineyards We speak a lot of um, international uh, grape varieties, but much, much of them are French varieties, in fact. 
So there is a huge connection and they need to uh, compete more effectively thanks to history and the capacity of changing also. Mm -hmm. So uh, you said you would try to provide solutions. Uh, so uh, the question comes up, what are the hot topics in uh, French wine industry and in Bordeaux especially? I think in Bordeaux especially it's about uh, red wine, wines because the consumers are shifting. They drink less often in restaurants. Um, they drink less often uh, with meals, seated uh, meals, I would say, like um, red meats or things like that. So it's getting uh, harder to uh, get to give them uh, red wines. And there is also a problem with uh, the, the fame of Bordeaux. Bordeaux wines are very well known. When you say Bordeaux, it's almost a synonym to uh, red wine, but they are not seen as modern wines, but more uh, old type of wines, which is not very true because when you are going uh, all around the Bordeaux vineyard, which is very huge, Bordeaux is uh, the first department of viticulture area in France, there are a lot of uh, new type of wines in style or in production. So I think the main um, topic at the moment for um, French whites is to show that they still deserve their fame as uh, very historical wines, but they are also modern ones. They are, try they are succeeding to change and they are succeeding to be more modern and uh, connected with uh, consumers. So what are the uh, main problems the wine region is facing? Is it a marketing topic? Is it uh, about climate change? Is it about uh, the uh, productivity? Is it about uh, that winemakers uh, don't earn as much as they used to? Or the prices for buying bottles and cartons is all going up? Like What's going on at the moment? What are winemakers worrying about? I think it's more or less everything, but the, the first topic is um, money, because at the end of the year, when you don't have that much uh, money in your bank account and that your debts are increasing, and you see that the prices of the wines are not getting high, whereas your um, um, investments are still very high, it's it's a problem. But all. All the things you said are true and are very important at the moment. Um, I've been in Bordeaux since 2013 and at the moment uh, it was a very hard vintage, very difficult. And since then it was uh, very, uh, very hard almost, almost each year. There was a problem and for the last vintages it was not a problem. It was almost like uh, an apocalypse every, every year. So. Uh, There were no struggles on the Chinese market, on uh, Hong Kong. Then it was uh, with um, the uh, Trump taxes on uh, French wines. After it was COVID, after it was and, and so on. And there were there were frost and there were mildew. So it's very very hard at the moment. And uh, wine growers and uh, wine brokers and all the people working in the industry. They are very face, they are facing very hard moments and it's very um, very difficult for them to, to go on, but still they uh, they find
find the courage to still produce whites, which are very good, but they they have to find a new image and to show what they are truly are. There are a lot of problems with the uh, environment, and Bordeaux was uh, very uh, attacked about this uh, subject, which is uh, quite unfair because uh, what's going on in Bordeaux is not different than what's going on in other vineyards in France, but also in the rest of the world. But because it's Bordeaux, there is fame, so it's still uh, it gets more attention attention when it comes to um, Bordeaux. So it's it's very unfair, but at the same time you are an easy target. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, in, but in the same time, because of these attacks, which were very strong and very hard, people had to move very quick and perhaps quicker than they would uh, expect. People who were organic ten years ago were kind of um, hippies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I didn't dare to say it, but same, it's the same, same true in Germany. So. <laughs> but at the moment, everyone is uh, is going more or less to uh, organic uh, practices, perhaps because uh, conventional uh, fungicides and uh, and uh, pesticides are getting out of the. Um, the road, there are more, less and less uh, products available, but still people are questioned by themselves, by their employees, by their consumers, by their and so on. So they had to move very quick, but still uh, Bordeaux didn't change uh, its image. So that's the main uh, topic to show that they changed properly. It was just not uh, because of the attacks. But uh, because of they need to change, and Bordeaux always change. It was not always a, a classical red wine production before there were white, before our claret, before and so on. So it is changing, just as to to say it, to prove it. Yeah, uh, this is uh, the idea of Bordeaux that I also got during this. Uh, Voyage, <laughs> uh, traveling Bordeaux and talking to so many people uh, that the reality of Bordeaux and the image of Bordeaux is becoming more and more different, actually. And it's a super interesting thing to discover. And yeah, as you say, uh, many of the topics that are going on here, uh, I know them perfectly well from Germany. I mean, we are quite close to each other. So uh, the climate uh, situation is almost the same. We had the same problems with mildew and with fungus uh, last year. It was horrible. And so I can, uh, I can deeply relate to that. Um, let's go for a moment uh, back to you. You said uh, you are in Bordeaux since 2013, so it's your ninth year now, or you're starting your ninth year. Um, how does one become chief editor of Vitasphere? Um, mainly because of luck, because I made studies in uh, Montpellier, in the southern part of uh, France, in agronomy and viticulture and in energy. And I had the opportunity to meet uh, the editor-in-chief of uh, Vitisphere at this moment, uh, Anser, who uh, taught me a lot about uh, journalists, and she gave me my chance to make an appointment in Vitisphere uh, for a few months. And then uh, the director of Vitisphere, Michel Raymonda, he um, hired me in uh, 2012 in Montpellier. And then I moved to Bordeaux because in France we are very um, 
well-suited. So when you are from Montpellier and you uh, call to people in Bordeaux, they don't really uh, make connection with you because they see you as more Languedoc and not that much from Aquitaine. So we are very... Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a, a country uh, view of uh, France. So it was very interesting to come to, uh, to Bordeaux in order to work on the Southwest vineyards and cognac also. So do you have a wine growing background or merchant background or are you like newly introduced to the business? Uh, my family doesn't grow wine or doesn't produce wine. Uh, it was mainly because when I, uh, I studied uh, agronomy in Montpellier, there were um, uh, courses of uh, degustation made by uh, students. It was very interesting to see uh, how rich is wine culture, in fact. It can be uh, chemistry, it can be history, it can be economics, politics. It's very wide and very interesting, so I get very fascinated with it. And I had the opportunity to make a specialization in my studies with wine. And I had the opportunity to work with BT Sphere, and they gave me my, my chance and the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I absolutely feel you. Uh, I come from a comparable situation, so I have no wine growing background. Uh, I came from northern Germany next to Denmark, so there's absolutely no wine growing go uh, going on there and uh, <laughs> at the moment at the moment yeah that's right uh, but uh, yeah people like us we need to find a place somewhere and it's funny that we uh, meet in such uh, different but comparable situations uh, you as professional journalist and me as a professional podcaster which is not so far from each other actually we just use different mediums so uh, yeah interesting thing to talk about and um <clears throat> I would like to know from, from your perspective. So you are specialized in wine politics and wine economics. I try to. <laughs> you try to. Uh, what are the most controversial topics going on in Bordeaux at the time? In Bordeaux especially, I would say, uh, in fact, there is a distinction between uh, what uh, wine producers want and what wine uh, sellers want. Because at the moment, there is a feeling um, amongst the producers that uh, there are too much uh, vineyards, surfaces, and they need to remove it. It's been for a few years that they are um, talking about it. I do not understand. Too much vineyards? Uh, surfaces, too much vines, yes. areas. They uh, want to remove. Uh, so you say you want to cut back from 110,000 hectares to, to less. To less. <laughs> like uh, 10,000 or 20,000 too much vineyards. They want to remove uh, a part. Because of overproduction? Yes. Or? Oh, yeah. Okay. Or because uh, some of these surfaces are no longer um, cultivated at the moment. Because uh, in France, there is, it's not uh, just about the vineyard, but many of the agriculture. There is a turn in generations and people are getting older and they are going to retirement and there are no longer people going after them and after their vineyards. So people... Um, I just read on Vitesphere about uh, Beaujolais. Uh, like uh, 50% of the wineries will close within 10 years and mm -hmm. many of them have no successors. So that's a tough one. And in Germany we have like, I think, what one out of four wineries without successor and it's not because they don't have children it's because kids don't want yes. yeah. it depends in the for instance uh, just 
northern uh, north of Bordeaux, there is Cognac, which is going very well at the moment, and the people are young people are coming back, in fact, to uh, to get vineyards or distilleries. But uh, 20 years ago, it was not the same story at all. People were leaving Cognac, so it's always cycles. And at the moment in Bordeaux, it's more or less uh, kind of bottom, a bottom, um, bottom cycle. Um, not getting very well, but it's still very hard, in fact, to speak of Bordeaux vineyard as a whole because it's very uh, diverse. In fact, it's uh, truly different between um, someone who is working uh, in uh, Entre de Mer or in kind of Bordeaux appellation, which which are seen as generical, and people uh, having vineyards in uh, Saint-Emilion or Médoc, and it's another world, truly different when you are speaking of uh, classified groups, and all these parts are making the volumes and the image of Bordeaux, so it's very different dynamics, but it's still a, a world, so when people speak of Bordeaux, they think of uh, classified groups, very high uh, and um, Wines very expensive, but uh, the reality is uh, very different. Yeah, I I, 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 I discovered this. Uh, so I talked to all kinds of winemakers, and uh, yeah, today I'm going to be interviewing um, uh, the president of the Cru Classé, uh, Philippe. Uh, how to pronounce his Castella. name? Castella. 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 Is it? Uh, well, it's, no, no, it's, it's not maybe. Spanish, is it? Uh, Castella. Yes. Okay, so I will not say Castella. <laughs> oh no, I'm going to get kicked out. The street, just a few a few blocks away, which is a Castella Street because it's a old family. Yeah, I read about this and I always wondered how to pronounce it without getting kicked out of the bureau. Uh, Castella. I will remember that. People will listen to it in the podcast and will laugh about it because I I'm surely going to crush that name. Um, yeah, so you said there's this uh, topic going on that uh, I guess the policies need uh, say, okay, we need to cut down areas and winemakers say, yeah, maybe not. Or is it the uh, other way around? It's um, people in the production would like to remove um, surfaces which are no longer uh, getting uh, Paid wines because of, because of the overproduction at the moment, prices of um, bulk wine in Bordeaux are not very expensive at all. It's very, very cheap. Um, it's too cheap. So uh, people think that if you remove these volumes, perhaps prices will get higher and you will uh, have a new uh, equilibrium between uh, offer and, uh, and supply. And um, on the other part, negotiations. I don't think that um, the problem is with uh, production. It's more about uh, markets. They, uh, they think that uh, if you remove uh, wines now and that in ten, uh, 10 years you uh, need wines, you, you will have to, uh, to paint again and it will be uh, nonsense, in fact, in the, in the long term. So it's very... Uh, It's a strategical uh, point to, uh, to manage both, in fact, between a short term, which is uh, trying to get prices up, and long term to get uh, a still a kind of high production in Bordeaux, because if Bordeaux starts to remove wines, you don't know that 
perhaps in 10 years we'll have to plant again, but perhaps in 10 years we'll have to remove again. And if in the end in Bordeaux there are, you just have uh, first classified growths, it will be interesting for this product for their properties. But for the other ones, it will be very hard to be um, visible, to be seen on the market because you will have no more rooms in uh, wine stores for Bordeaux if there are no more volumes. In fact, they still have to get some volumes in order to uh, be visible on the markets. So it's an equilibrium to find between both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand that. And I mean, there's truth in both of them, actually. So it's uh, it's a valid argumentation. But I would I would say from my perspective, I mean, it's short analysis, but I would say rather have a situation where you cannot, cannot satisfy demand because then you can raise prices and reinvest then have a situation where you have huge overproduction and people just go broke. But uh, this is uh, very, very superficial. So um, People prefer to have uh, kind of uh, problems of rich people than of poor people. But if you see and if you look in Burgundy at the moment, they have no more wines and Prices are getting high, 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 and higher. But uh, in the end, uh, if it's not sustainable, yes, because uh, consumers that will see that they can find a better, not better, but different wines with uh, cheaper prices, and they yes. will uh, remove, and then you will broke, you will break um, the toy. In fact, so it will it won't work anymore, and it will be a problem for for the Burgundy. Uh, Just a short interruption because I want to talk directly to you who are listening to this podcast. I'm Diego. I'm the host of this podcast, obviously. What you maybe do not know is that I'm also active as wine marketing consultant for wineries and I'm specialized in small and medium-sized family wineries that try to figure out their strategic positioning. This often occurs when the winery faces a generational change, so it's ahead of them or they just did it, and the new owners try to find their identity and the winery's identity. The other scenario where my help is often asked is when wineries change their market, so for example from producing bulk wine to bottling wine. Strategic positioning, I can explain this best on my own podcast. So there are many of wine podcasts, mostly talking about food pairing and stuff. There's one podcast for wine professionals talking about how to make money in the wine industry. This is mine and this is very special. So this leads to platforms like Wine Plus. It's 230,000 members. 30,000 of them are professionals working together with me or Vitisphere, the main French medium for wine growing, working together with me, or IVES, the worldwide corporation of wine research institutes, working together with me because of my strategic positioning. But this is also possible for wineries. But when I look around, most of the wineries I see, they have a me too positioning, meaning look at me, I also do organic wine, or I also do vegan wine, or I also have a vineyard in this area, or I also produce orange wine, or what have you. So this is positioning, but it's not good. Let me tell you the story of one of my customers. It's Terra Preta Weingut Huppert, meaning Terra Preta Winery Huppert. And so together we positioned them as the only winery that has its brand centered around the use of Terra Preta. 
Why is this important? Because if you check this stuff out, it has a huge community on YouTube. You can buy it in grocery stores. Uh, television channels are reporting about it. Joe Rogan podcast is reporting about it. And no winemaker got the idea to use it as his strategic positioning. So instead of saying, yeah, I'm organic winery Huppert, we can say I'm Terra Preta winery Huppert. This is good strategic positioning. And I consulted them and I helped them to change their whole brand around this new identity. And the effect of it is that they now can sell their wine where no other winery is selling because they are part of the Terra Preta community from now on. And if you want to learn how strategic positioning can help you grow your business and stabilize your income, do not hesitate to contact me. I do my consulting locally because I travel the wine world a lot, but also online via Zoom or video conferences. And so just contact me and we can talk about what is possible. And uh, what is the standpoint of Vitisphere on this topic? Uh, in fact, we don't have a, just try to, to help. We don't have a, a point of view, to be uh, honest, because we are not uh, pros and cons. We try to, uh, to get information in order to, um, to get a more um, informed discussion. Yes, that uh, in fact, uh, we are our readers. They have a huge amount of work because uh, they have to make wine. They have to look after their vines. Uh, the administrative part is very heavy, and they also have to sell their wines. They also have to look after exports, and they have a lot of things to think already. So we try to get them as much information as we can to um, help their folks. Because they, they could find uh, what we are telling them because uh, they can go to the, um, to the syndicate, they can speak to their president, their, our industry is very uh, human side, so they can get information, but uh, it will need ta- they will need time and they don't have much. So we try to uh, be as efficient as we can and to deliver them what's going on. We try to be um, to respect uh, opposite point of views, to give them uh, what's going on in order to let them uh, decide what's best for their own uh, societies and firms. But we don't really have a point of view. We just try to help yeah. the industry. So uh, we are just as much positive as we can. But topics are very hard sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, as uh, from the journalistic standpoint, you have to stay neutral. But I think we are actually we are fighting at the same uh, at the same side in this battle. So um, my idea with this podcast is to go around and report from every country, from every major wine growing region, and tell what is going on for winemakers to be able to listen to it while they work, so they get information without having to stop. And this is uh, critical. And uh, maybe <laughs> I know in, in, in France you have this thing going on with uh, English, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it would be a good idea for some winemakers here to start listening to this podcast because I will be talking to many of the other countries that uh, are competitors actually and that uh, compete with French wines and not on the domestic market, but on the export markets. Every bottle that is not sold on the export export market needs to be marketed domestic in France. And so this just raises competition here. And uh, yeah, I think from that perspective, it's super crucial to learn about foreign 
trends, foreign markets, foreign, uh, yeah, what's going on there. And uh, I will provide this for every country. So I think we are on the, both, on the same side. But um, yeah, so you are today, you are not uh, just uh, representing Vitasphere, you're also representing yourself. What's your opinion on the topic? Personal. Uh, it's not that different, in fact. I have the uh, chance to work for um, a media in which I trust and uh, which trusts me, I hope. So, uh, in fact, it's very hard to have um, a kind of strong point of view on things because if so, you simplify a lot and yep. there are a lot of nuances, in fact, and it's very hard to, uh, to have the, a kind of it's not to be uh, biblical, but to have this kind of uh, very uh, strong things. Like, I don't have a religion, in fact, in these uh, topics. I think um, our vineyards in France have a lot of uh, opportunities and they have a lot of um, values, but uh, they just need to uh, know and to face the challenges at the moment and just to say that you don't have to change because uh, people who are asking you to change are from the cities, they don't know how to grow a vine, they don't know uh, what does it mean, it's not a good answer in fact, because uh, at the end your consumers have change and they won't want any more of your wines, and plus you still uh, people who are producing wines are living around, so they also need to change and to be more um, sustainable for, yes. them, for themselves. So I don't really have a strong point of view, I'm sorry, but I think it's still, uh, it's still hard to, uh, to be uh, very strong and not to change a point of view because it depends. Perhaps three years ago, things were not that good uh, for Bordeaux. That the world was different, so at the moment it's everything changed and it's more or less the same. So it's hard to say that uh, solutions three years ago still works now. Hmm. So uh, you started uh, talking about the consumers. Uh, what topics are perceived by consumers and stakeholders as important when it comes to the wine business? Sustainability, I guess? Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. Because at the moment uh, you need a lot of labelization and certifications. Uh, organic is uh, uh, green is a new black. So it's becoming it's, the new standard, yes. Yeah. yes. Which is interesting because uh, organic is not um, a complete solution. In fact, it's just a part of the answer because we are reducing the pesticides, uh, obviously, but still you are. Um, raising the carbon, carbon footprint of your production and there are still uh, debates about copper so it's uh, very uh, it's not a solution for the future we still have to improve uh, organic practices but it's still interesting because it's an European certification so it means something for the perhaps the consumer doesn't know all um, about organic culture but still, it's a certification uh, which pro, um, protect, protects uh, consumers and think vineyards they need to go ahead, which is done at the moment in Bordeaux. They are working a lot about uh, sustainability, uh, not only in the vineyards, but also in the cellars, in the firms, with the um, buyers, uh, consumers, neighbors, 
as a world, which is a, a very hard decision to make for a film because it's a kind of uh, a new um, a new job they need uh, to make and they already have too much. But uh, if you don't make this turn, uh, others will do, and your and your earth, your your land, it will. Um, if you want to sell your land properly in the future, you need to uh, to make it uh, now. So yeah, so it's a kind of not an investment, but more or less you still have to uh, to improve it in that because it at the moment not be uh, not being organized or not be working on a sustainability means that it will last for the future. You still have to go ahead. So, mm. so is this true for every? let's say, price class of wine, because I uh, talked to some people who work at uh, big negotiation companies. I won't say their names here because it's uh, quite a controversial topic, but they said they never sell one bottle because of sustainability. They sell brand. That's um, there is debate, yes, because at the moment brands are strong, but uh, when you're looking at distributors, they are making... Um, um, I don't have the, the English word, but a kind of um, a cahier des charges. They need, uh, in fact, uh, if you want to, uh, to put your wines with these distributors, you have to answer to um, many uh, questions. And if you, you don't have, for instance, uh, labels or you are not going in certification for something, you will be out of these um, distributors. So at the moment, it's coming more or less. Um, a need to have a certification in order just to go in the distributors. Not all of them, but more or less it's coming. But the point is that you are going to a distributor, they ask for a certification, you have one. Perhaps you will have a little more extra in the price paid, but not that much. And you can say that in the long term, there will be no more extra because everyone is going there to be a uh, It won't be a marketing yeah, advantage yes. so, for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's more or less uh, what we are seeing at the moment, but still, in fact, in volumes, exactly, um, people are there are kind of two markets, very opposite, um, a low prices uh, market, which is not very um, good for French wines because they are not very competitive with others like from. Um, world and other competitors, but from Spain. And in the same time, there are very high-end uh, ones, which are kind of um, too expensive for all, all the wines in France that can go to, can produce only Petrus in France, it won't work. But uh, there are kind of two extremes, and in the middle, it's very hard to have uh, a strong strategy, a strong image, and to make difference in order to have added value That's, uh, that's the difficulty, so it's hard to, um, it's hard if it really does. <laughs> But brands, in the same, same time, brands from Negotiant, they are working uh, on uh, an image. So when you see, for instance, uh, perhaps I can say a name, just Mouton Cadet, which is a, a strong uh, Bordeaux uh, brand, they are going part organic, but they are also working for more sustainability. And that's interesting to see uh, their point of view, 
Because I, I come from Cognac, and in Cognac, they are producing uh, at the moment um, spirits from the 2021 vintage, but they won't uh, put it in market before three or four years. So they already know that they are producing uh, a spirit for a future market. And like in five, in five years or in 10 years, people, they won't ask what they are looking for now. So they are moving on herbicides, they are moving on a lot of things. So they have a chance with distillation and you remove a lot of the pesticides from the spirits, but still they are looking for the next demands. And because of the longevity of vineyards, winemakers and uh, wine producers, they need uh, to uh, look ahead and to uh, anticipate. At the moment it's hard because they already have a lot of things like fungus, uh, frost, uh, difficult markets, but if they want to uh, be able to have a vineyard in uh, 10 years, they have to look ahead. Yeah, sure. Uh, one topic I raised quite a lot in my interviews is um, the introduction of new grape varieties. And as I understand, uh, Bordeaux is heading more into the direction of going Albarino, Turiga Nacional, like the very uh, heat-sustaining uh, grape varieties, and not so much into the topic of fungal resistance varieties. Uh, do you think this is... Uh, this is a mistake because when it comes to spraying copper, for example, uh, and you have fungal resistance varieties that need way less copper, and at the same time you have more and more uh, wineries becoming organic, the price of copper spraying will increase dramatically. In fact, I don't think there's a mistake because the, um, uh, the strategy of the Bordeaux operation, which is uh, mainly um, looking uh, to be the um, new uh, experiments, they are not uh, only about uh, strange varieties or what we would say more sovereign varieties, in fact they also are working on uh, resistant varieties, but um, in the, at the moment you can uh, put in your uh, appellation experiments of uh, Betis vinifera, but you can't put uh, from hybrids, so uh, resistant varieties, they can't be in uh, appellations, but there are still experiments of this kind of varieties uh, outside of the appellation in the Bordeaux region. And yes. When uh, winemakers and winegrowers are trying uh, making this, and there, are, there is a lot of attention from uh, the Bordeaux um, syndicates and uh, appellations, so they are working of, on all the uh, possibilities at the moment, but it's, uh, it would be... Uh, possible to work on uh, these uh, resistant varieties in, uh, in a few years and they are still uh, working in fact in the Bordeaux region with the um, obtention of uh, resistant varieties more uh, rooted in the Bordeaux meat like uh, red. The dream of everybody is to have uh, Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot resistant or and the Sauvignon Blanc resistant to, uh, to fungus and uh, they are working on it uh, with uh, experiments so that it's a long-term um, perspective and they will not only need to work on resistance but also on um, climate change. Yeah, water stress, exactly. stuff like this. I, I've, I've done my, my last year of apprenticeship in, uh, in a company that was uh, just selecting and breeding grapes. So uh, I actually have practical experience in this field. And uh, yeah, I, I think this is a very, very interesting thing. But on the other hand, uh, I mean, you have the optimal situation here because you sell cuvee. 
So you can put basically anything into a cuvee without. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so and that that was that is just many other wine growing areas don't have it, but still need to go to uh, fungal resistance varieties. I think. Mm, so this is uh, in in some percentage it's unavoidable. It will be part of an answer to reducing your yeah your climate impact and uh, also to deal with uh, more rainy and more unstable weather situations. Uh, I'm sure about it. Uh, you you mentioned one topic that um, the the interest in this comes more from the wine growers than uh, maybe from the politicians at the moment. So uh, if, if you are not allowed to do these experiments or to to plant it in a big big uh, style, what would uh, wine growers have to do if they want to change policies in this area? How do how should they act? Um, policies are from uh, the European community mainly. It's uh, so it's the next um, agriculture policy. It will be authorized to have uh, hybrids in uh, appellations. So it will uh, it will run, but it's still very hard because um, in the vineyards there are a lot of uh, impatience with um, the delays of uh, changing. Uh, policies and uh, appellation regulations because uh, things are moving very fast and sometimes it takes like five or ten years to to change an appellation but in the same time appellations are um, ruled by uh, what we call INAO in France it's a institute a national institute of uh, origin appellations and it's a kind of a treasure in fact because this time they are taking it's still uh, very uh, slow and sometimes not that competitive with uh, others but still uh, it allows uh, wine uh, from wines from france to uh, keep their roots and to keep their history they don't lose their soul because uh, sometimes you can say oh we need to be uh, more for instance uh, chardonnay at the moment is working so we need uh, bordeaux chardonnay but like in five years the trends are moving And uh, what would we need to be Bordeaux, Bordeaux Moscato, or it's already passed, and we need Bordeaux Prosecco, what else? So it's very um, useful to have this tool, which is um, in fact uh, ruled by viticulture, Lagos, and uh, administration of France. So it's uh, they take time, sometimes it's too long, but it also preserves, in fact, uh, the value of this uh, appellation, which are very historical. So it's always balanced, in fact, between um, the short term and the long term. Yeah. Yeah, but I think uh, we will have to be more and more fast acting. I don't see the century as uh, becoming slower. <laughs> it's becoming faster, actually. And um, yeah, so if, if uh, wine growers want to uh, introduce their interests to the people making decisions. How would they do this? Uh, in fact, uh, it's very uh, funny because in France, there is a kind of myth about um, the wine lobby. Um, in fact, uh, a lot of people think that uh, the wine industry have a lot of power, in fact, on the, um, on the French politics. And in fact, they are There is a, a hill, in fact, they are, they are listened, but they don't get that much uh, power, in fact. So it's um, people in the literature, 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 literature uh, syndicates or negotiations 
Alors, ben oui, euh, In fact, uh, people in the syndicates from uh, vines and, uh, and wines are very uh, competent and they have a lot of uh, political view, in fact. So they are very connected with uh, deputies or senators and they can move um, their views to, uh, to the government. So there is a lot of... Um, possibility to, uh, to give uh, their point of view to the um, decision makers in, uh, in France. It's always uh, the slowness of uh, the administration and the need to take time. So people who want, who want to, to move, they can experiment, not that much, but they can still plant uh, resistant uh, varieties, for instance, not in Bordeaux appellation, but when people uh, France, France wines, in fact, it's a revolt appellation. And there are also uh, PGI, then uh, you can try. So there are some tools in order to make experimentation. And once you have the results, it's more it's, uh, easier to make a point about the uh, need to move a regulation. But yes, I agree that uh, at the moment things are getting faster and faster. So. Uh, It's hard to have time, to take time, in fact, because, uh, for instance, I work on the internet and uh, a news, it's like it has to be published in the moment and you have the impression that uh, tomorrow it won't be useful at all. So there is a kind of sense of emergency in everything in our lives and in our societies. So people want to go very uh, fast, but in the meantime, When you plant a vine, it's not just for one year, it's for 20 years, for 50 years. Reactivity is not the best idea in this case. Yeah. Okay, so I, I don't know how much time we have left here before people start coming in. And uh, I want to go a bit into uh, about uh, Vitisphere. So how big is Vitisphere in terms of users, readers? Uh, oh. Tell us a bit about the company. I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not a figure man. <laughs> I don't uh, remember figures. Uh, at the moment, Vitisphere, so it was uh, founded in um, 2000, in fact, in, uh, in Montpellier by uh, two, um, I would say, kind of visionaries, because at the moment, at the moment uh, internet was not such a big thing, and they had the idea that um, the one industry would need the uh, internet in order to connect people. So it was uh, Michel Raymonda, which who had um, an experience uh, in uh, banks and uh, the wines of Languedoc and Nicolas Motley who is more connected with um, banks and they, um, they tried to develop a kind of network with uh, wine producers and wine uh, um, fournisseurs in fact with the furnitures of um, factors and, and things like that And at the moment, at the beginning, it wasn't working at all because people, they were just not going to the internet in order to find furniture. So they tried to make other things like uh, news. And so it was the beginning of uh, Vitisphere as a news uh, media. And after I worked on a job um, placement, it was BT job uh, and so on. And so at the moment, uh, we are part of uh, a bigger group, which is called uh, France Agricole. And, uh, which is a French media group uh, for agriculture. 
and we have the wine and vines uh, pour with uh, Lavigne, which is uh, a review, a taper review for wine growers. Lavigne? Lavigne, yes. Okay, so uh, I checked your website and you have quite some services on there. What is Intervigne? Uh, it's a website in order to sell uh, vineyards in, uh, in France to uh, make connections between uh, sellers and um, buyers. What is Viniconnect? Uh, in fact, it was a kind of first service to make connection between uh, people uh, having furniture and people needing it. So it's for yeast, it's for tractors, it's for consulting also because at the moment uh, people in the wine industry they need more consultants for jobs or for exports. So this is uh, Viniconnect is the origin of Vitisphere. Kind of yes. <laughs> ah, and what is Hub Wine? Uh, Hub wine. Uh, sorry. Hub wine. This. Uh, I don't know this one. It's, uh, perhaps it's a project. Uh, at the moment, at the beginning, of, we made a new version of this site. It's called uh, It's One. And it was uh, the hub because it was a uh, hub uh, between uh, Lavigne and Vitisphere and the other services. I think. Ah, c'est ici, Hubwine, nouvelle plateforme d'aide à la commercialisation. Okay. Alors, on va voir ça. Uh, so it's pretty new. And we have another thing, uh, Vindexer. It's also from uh, the beginning of uh, Vitisphere. It was um, a kind of. Um, index of uh, people working uh, in the industry, people who were wishing to be uh, uh, visible online and to be, uh, to be found. So uh, all this is uh, Vitisphere and also you find a lot of jobs. You have like, mm -hmm. I think, two job uh, sites there. So uh, it's basically uh, where anybody who will come to France as a wine professional or who lives here needs to be and needs to check in regularly. And uh, yeah, so I think we, we will end this um, interview with one question. What do you think is the most advanced about Bordeaux wine industry at the moment? Uh, what do you mean by advanced? So uh, where the development is worth watching for other people from other countries. Um, there are a lot of things, but in different parts. Because uh, we spoke a lot about um, red wines, but Bordeaux is not only making wines. You can find uh, very interesting uh, wines, uh, sparklings also, uh, rosé of course, and um, sweet wines, which are very uh, very interesting. Because in fact, uh, red wines are in the crisis for a few years, but uh, sweet wines have been in a struggle for a long, long time. And they are trying to make very interesting uh, decisions to, uh, to get uh, back on, uh, on trends like um, tourism. So they are trying in Sauterne and Barsac uh, to make uh, new uh, investments with uh, hotels, restaurants, and uh, kind of uh, wine city, city du vin, like we say in Bordeaux. So uh, I think they are very interesting to see, um, in fact, as uh, an incubator of uh, solutions. For the rest of uh, Bordeaux, because I have 
I had a very interesting stories at the beginning of the classified books. All the sweet wines were first, and uh, Ikem is the first of the first. But yes. still, uh, sweet wines uh, from uh, Sauternes, uh, they were very uh, high demanded. They were kind of um, very, uh, yes, very high prices and very demanded. And now it's not at all the same story, so it's very interesting to see how things are changing and how they are trying to make things back again. Yeah, sure. If you had uh, the possibility to change something without having resistance for Bordeaux, uh, maybe the image, what would you like uh, the image to be? Um, in fact, it would be more realistic, to be more, um, in fact, um, more nuance to be uh, more close in fact to the diversity of Bordeaux because it's not a Bordeaux it's Bordeaux so you have a lot of differences between the terroirs but also the winemakers there are a lot of stories in fact which needs to be told so perhaps just not to speak about Bordeaux but Bordeaux would be uh, quite a, a nice start yeah sure so I discovered this myself I came here having absolutely no idea about Bordeaux apart from it's Bordeaux and it's red and it tastes good and uh, now that I came here I learned about the difference between the Medoc region the Entre de Mer region and about Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignons how they play out about uh, old uh, varieties that come back in trend like Caminère Malbec and uh, selling single grape varieties which is a new thing and wineries who do this are very very successful with that um, at least the ones uh, I interviewed and so there's so much going on here it's amazing and at the same time like Bordeaux is in size as big as whole German wine production and it's just like one huge appellation that everyone sees as this one huge appellation but it, I mean it's you can spend years here and discover new stuff all the time so uh, I, I know where you're aiming at and uh, so I would say uh, thanks for the for this interview. And Thank you very much. Sorry for my English. <laughs> no problem, no problem. Uh, I've had worse. And uh, so uh, yeah, with this I would say we come to an end and we have a nice lunch. Now that was interesting and uh, yeah I want to say sorry for the sound quality but as it is when we record in a restaurant uh, I always have to cut out a lot of the background noise and uh, so this can reduce audio quality quite a bit. Uh, I think I did quite a good job but uh, it is as it is and yeah also another great great thanks to uh, Alexandre as you have heard if you stayed uh, till this point. We share quite some similarities in our career and uh, so I really consider this an interesting meeting and we had quite some follow-up topics to discuss for example a cooperation between my podcast podcast <laughs> between my podcast and vitisphere which is very very promising and so uh, yeah in case you hear about me or uh, see me on vitisphere this was the result of this lunch and uh, it took place in a very very nice restaurant it's called veritable le veritable it's called uh, i think it was the rue de judaïque judaïque i don't know how to pronounce this uh, so if you are in bordeaux and want to check out a nice restaurant uh, go to le veritable and uh, yeah 
for today, that's it. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoy conversations like these, please do share this with a friend. Every listener helps me sustain this podcast as I will be able to attract more sponsors. Thanks.